Hey friends, you're listening to the Student Ministry Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, lead you closer to Jesus, and help you follow Him more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. I'm going to be honest, I forgive me, I'm going to be a bit blunt and a bit personal tonight. I feel like it's hard to do a whole series called What Are You Known For? and then not eventually get to a point where you kind of got to be brutally truthful and honest with yourself and upfront. This is one of the few times in my life where I've not enjoyed being the center of attention. Usually it's the opposite. The series question has been, what are we known for? And we base this whole series around stories. And we've looked at how the church started 2,000 years ago, and we've looked at its joy, and we've looked at its pain. Two weeks ago, I told you to be transparent. And so tonight, I'm going to answer what I'm known for. We're going to tell stories. We're going to look at how the church has lasted through all these years, and I'm going to be transparent. And if the wind will stop acting up, that'd be great. I feel like I could be unprofessional with you guys. It's fine. I crashed a wedding a few years ago. I know that's kind of, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I'm not going to say whose wedding because I don't want to get in trouble for what happened. But I will explain further. So I had been in Utah for like a week which is one of the most boring places on earth. Unless you're from there, in which case it's the best state. And I was just looking out at the steps and the mesas. That's one good thing apart. That's one good part about it is the landscape. And I was just looking out there and I just kept asking myself, what are you doing? Right? There's a way that nature kind of makes you think about what you're doing with your life. It's kind of depressing, but it's also kind of cool. And so when I got back from Utah, I still had red clay and dirt under my nails, and my hair was a mess. And one of my friends said, hey, there's this wedding, and it's right next to your house. We're going to go crash it. And I didn't ask questions because that's not who I am. And so I threw on this suit from Kohl's that barely fit me, like the kind of thing that a high school guy wears to homecoming where it's like all raggedy and not tailored at all. And so I went, and I had a fantastic time. For those of you that don't know how weddings work, you're not supposed to get into the cake until you get the okay to have cake. Uh, It was one of those folksy weddings that had cupcakes instead of cake, but I still kind of broke the rules, and when nobody was looking, I had a cupcake before I was supposed to, and it wasn't very good. And I thought, I'm just going to have another one and hope the flavor's better. And so I had another one, and I think I had a total of six or seven cupcakes that night. And I pray to God that the wife did not notice that I was stealing all those cupcakes because I still wake up in a cool sweat at night and think, I hope that she does not hunt me down and kill me for taking cupcakes from her wedding. (laughs) We met Bob Durbin, wherever he is. uh, My friend and I went up to him, and somehow we had the confidence to tell him that he looked like a cross between Jay Leno and Robert De Niro, which I don't know how we summoned the gall to say that to a stranger. (laughs) And everyone else was dancing and drinking. I wasn't drinking because I'm underage. None of you should be drinking, by the way. Anyways, we were outside, my friend and I, in the cool of the night. There's these string lights. It was really wonderful. We just sat there and we talked, which is what I needed at that point in my life, was just to talk to somebody. And we sat there and we talked about this horrible comedy we were going to make. It was going to be us and then Papa John from the pizza company, and we were going to fight crime together. And I still stand by that I would watch that movie if it was made. We talked about our favorite music. At that point in history, the big band was 21 Pilots. It was a dark, dark time for all of humanity. If you're a fan, I apologize. And I talked about Utah. I'd had all these nightmares in Utah. And I told my friend that when I got back from Utah, that that was going to be it, that the nightmares would stop. And this is kind of one of my catchphrases. I was like, this is a new start for me. 
The old mic is still in Utah, and the new mic is here in California. And it was a good conversation until it got kind of quiet, and he shuffled around a bit in his seat, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I love these conversations, but I don't want them to just be memories. I want to keep having them. And if you don't get help, they're just going to be memories. And I know that your family can be kind of messed up, just as messed up as you are sometimes, and I know that you have some health problems, and I know that things haven't been great, but just because something's not your fault doesn't mean you shouldn't seek help. And because it was him, because he was asking me, I went home, and I made the call, and I started therapy. And I felt really defeated at first, right? I felt like less of a man for going to therapy. But after a few days, I felt really triumphant. You know when you've been putting off cleaning your room and you finally do it? Or when you get in shape after a long time saying you're going to? And you feel like, yeah, I'm a winner. I won that. I did the thing I said I was going to do, and I got better. I didn't understand that you don't just sign up for therapy and then you're done. I didn't understand that you have to go to therapy. And so... I didn't also understand that this idea of getting better, this process of getting better, there's not a point that you reach. You just keep going, and it takes your whole lifetime to get better. And I didn't like that, and I didn't accept it, and I wouldn't accept how much control and say I actually had in my life. And because of that, my progress was slow, and while I was getting better, everything in my life was getting worse. And I made an endless number of bad decisions over the last few years, all while trying to get better. Most of them hurt me. Some of them hurt others. Some of those people I loved, and some of those people I couldn't fix things with. When you don't want to admit the bad things you do, when you don't want to take responsibility, you become obsessed with this idea of a second chance, and you think, if I could just go back and I could make things right, if I could just find an excuse and a reasoning for why I did what I did, then I won't need to ask for forgiveness. right? I didn't want to take responsibility for the things that I did because I thought, I want everybody to like me. And how can everybody like me if I admit the things that I've done? Because I know the real me, and nobody's going to like that guy. I can't tell you how many coffee meetups I had with people where it was just me giving them these horrible apologies that were not heartfelt at all and then throwing a million cobbled-together excuses at them. Where it's like, well, actually, you know, it's kind of your fault. Like, I'm sorry, but it's also kind of your fault. And, you know, it really shouldn't be on me to apologize. Are you going to pay for the coffee? Is that okay? And I did that about a thousand times. And I remember the most recent one. It was actually a ways away now. But the last one that I did, I remember I had this pitch that I thought was really good. It was a great false apology. It was great false reasoning. And when I was done with it, I thought I would have dazzled them. But they said, no, I don't forgive you. You're not sorry, and you're not better. And it should have been a slap in the face. It should have been a wake-up call. But I willfully misunderstood what they said because I didn't want to take responsibility. And so after a while, I convinced myself, ah, you know what? I'm better, you know? I haven't had, like, an episode or anything. I've lost weight. I'm getting in shape. Uh, Everything's good. My relationships are kind of staying afloat. And so when I went to my doctor, he said, hey, any updates? And I said, yeah, you're fired. You're fired, and I'm not going to take medication, and we're done. And so I did that. I fired him, and I stopped taking medication. And it was great for a little bit. It was really good. I could come up here on stage or go before my friends, and I could say, hey, I'm an inspiration. I'm a comeback story, man. I'm like, you know those posters in PE teachers' offices where it's like someone climbing a rock, and it says perseverance or strength? I'm like the living, breathing version of one of those, right? Right? 
And sure, sure, there'd be times where I'd be at a party and I'd have the thought, you're not a good person and you don't deserve any of the good things in your life. Or I'd be here at the church and I think you don't deserve these relationships. And yeah, those are depressed thoughts, but I wasn't depressed. I was better. And I didn't need to clean up my act. And I didn't need to get help. And I didn't need to ask for forgiveness because I was better. And 2020 should have been my year. It should have been my year, right? But like I said in the sermon two weeks ago, you can't ignore things. They catch up with you. You can't run away from stuff. And that brings us to our final story from Acts for this series. It's after the murder of Stephen, which we discussed last week. If you want to read with me, it's Acts chapter 9. In the time of Jesus, there was a man named Saul. His Roman name was Paul. And there's a lot of stuff that historians can't 100% confirm, but it's pretty certain and it's really interesting context for his life. And I learned a lot about him that I had never really heard before. For instance, a lot of historians think that his first language was actually Greek and not Hebrew. They think he was born a Roman citizen. They think that he may have been related to King Herod through some biblical context. He was taught under one of the greatest rabbis in Jewish history. And not only that, but he describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. The Pharisees being the people who called for Jesus' death, the legalists, the religious scholars. And because of that, he was disconnected. He was simultaneously disconnected from the normal Hebrew people who were not as educated and who may have been poorer. And he was also disconnected from the great teachers and the royalty because he really wasn't one of them. He was in that weird zone that a lot of us are in of he was just potential, but would the potential really go anywhere? And so in the wake of Christ's execution and resurrection, in the wake of the new church starting, Saul had an opportunity. He could really distinguish himself. He could do something that finally really mattered, you know? Really be doing something. And so he took that opportunity. There were a million Sauls in the desert, and his name would be the name that would come to people's minds. And so the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, and the Romans encouraged Saul to hunt down Christians and bring them to justice. He began to use his Roman name, Paul, which he preferred. In fact, in his letters, you can see he refers to himself as Paul. We don't know exactly what went on in his time uh, bringing Christians to justice. He doesn't talk about it a lot. He seems haunted by it, which is understandable. But a lot of people died. A lot of people were tortured. A lot of people lost everything. And yet he continued. We heard about Stephen last week, who was unjustly executed. And Saul was so certain that he was doing the right thing that he held all their robes for him while they threw rocks at Stephen. He was a hat rack for murderers. He was so certain in what he was doing. He sat in the sun nonchalantly while he waited for them to finish cracking open Stephen's skull. We can read in Romans that he had friends and family who were actually part of the church before he got caught up in it. But he continued. Because it had to be right. He was really doing something. You know, it mattered. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Saul found himself suddenly blinded by that light, and Jesus directed him to the city where a Christian man would restore his sight, would feed him, would baptize him, and then Saul could begin his new mission, his task from God, to tell the world of the forgiveness that awaited all of humanity if they would simply ask for it. Which is a nice ending, but it's not the ending of it, right? It's not a fairy tale, and it, there's context that matters. Because Saul had hurt these people. Saul had to sit in this congregation and know that he had hurt their loved ones, maybe been the cause of their loved ones' deaths. He had to look them in the eyes and know he had caused the worst pain they had ever felt. Can you imagine knowing that you're the worst thing that ever happened to someone? What a feeling that is. And then you have to call them brother, and you have to call them sister. And he knew, he felt it, he wasn't oblivious. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he writes, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. The church became his closest loved ones, and he had to know he'd hurt all of them. He had to get up every day and know that the God he served, he had broken that God's heart with the things that he'd done. I don't know how many of you know what a relapse is, but in regards to mental health or addiction, it's like when you have a behavior and you're moving away from it and you're recovering from it, and then it pops back up and you fall into it again. And it's like the worst defeat that you can feel. Because you have these thoughts when you're depressed, right? That you're a bad person, that you're powerless, you're worthless, all these things. And when you relapse into a behavior, it kind of feels like it's just confirming that for you. And then you get dragged deeper into it. And this year that was supposed to be my year, my depression relapsed, or at least I just stopped being able to ignore it. My bad behavior relapsed, my bad decisions, all my toxic traits, like needing everybody to like me, or being the center of attention, or being selfish. I fell into it again, and I made those choices. I had psychosis pop up, hallucinations and delusions and things like that, which at the end of that, you feel like you ran a marathon, but there's no sense of accomplishment. So you're just tired. And my narrative that I was better collapsed. And in my self-hatred, I built this new mountain of bad decisions. And I hurt more people. This summer, I got in a fight with my dad. I've never really gotten along with my dad because there's so much that I don't like about me that he also shares those bad traits. And so I always kind of irrationally blamed him like it was some curse I'd inherited from him. And I, I, I like to deny how similar we are, but I was telling my friends over the weekend that we had these Costco chocolate muffins in our garage. They're my favorite thing. They're so good. And I try not to have them because they're so horrible for you. But I went out in the garage early in the morning, and I was in a bad mood. And I saw them, and I went, eh, I hate myself anyways. And I had like two of them, which I'm pretty sure is like 50,000 calories. <laughs> and I'm sitting there eating a muffin, and my dad walks out, and he goes, eh, I hate myself anyways. And he has a muffin, and we just sit there and eat muffins. And so it's not hard to see how the apple fell from that tree, how we're similar. But I got in a big fight with him over the summer. And it was one of those horrible fights with someone that knows you really well, where you're just trying to say what you know will hurt the person most. And it was just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I was really mad because he, I wanted to forgive him in a sense, but he wouldn't admit that he'd ever done anything wrong. And in his defense, I wouldn't admit I'd done anything wrong. But there was this quiet moment, there was this lull in the argument, where he looked at me and he said, I haven't done anything wrong. Everything I've done, my dad did. 
And it made sense because he was right. I hadn't thought about it, but all the stuff I blamed him for that I didn't like about me that we shared, he got from his dad. And I'm sure his dad got it from his dad, and it went on down the line. And I stopped being able to make my dad a villain in my head, and it was kind of shaking. Because then I realized that we were just the same. That there was just this long line of people who felt emptiness around them and then tried to fill it with, you know, big words and selfish actions, and it couldn't fill it. And I keep thinking about that, how things are so much more complicated than I thought they were. And the last few weeks have been awful to be transparent, like I said two weeks ago. You know, you hit a rock bottom, right, and you think that's it. And you feel like you're at the bottom of the ocean floor. And then you roll over and you're in an ocean trench. And you think, this is the worst it could get. And then you go into the depths of the earth. And then you're at the earth's core. And you think, well, this has to be it, right? And then you roll out the other side and it starts over again. And it's terrible. And it's hard to have that narrative that you'll just wake up one day and be better. That you can do it alone. And reading Paul's story and thinking about things, I sort of have had a realization that I've wanted to ignore. We can't make things right. We can't fix everything. We can't change the past. And there isn't a point in life where you'll just be perfect and be exactly who you need to be magically. But the truth is, is that if we think we can't be forgiven, then we don't ask for forgiveness. And then we can't be forgiven. If we let regret and denial define us in every way, that, in every way and everything that we do, then we'll never be able to feel any relief. And I felt it with my dad, and Paul felt it with God, and I feel it with me now, that we can forgive, and we can be forgiven. God offers me forgiveness like he offered Paul. He sees me, and he sees what I do every day, and he still offers that to me. And Paul caught on to that, that if you just move past the denial and the regret and say, I want to be forgiven, I want that, that you can be loved by him. Paul caught on to it, and he writes, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. It's such hard work to keep going. It's such a struggle. But one area that you don't have to struggle is being pardoned and having guilt. Because God covers that, and we can cover that with each other. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I have no clue where any of you are at, and I don't want to pretend that I do. Yet it would be a huge mistake for me to pretend that I understand any of you. But we keep asking that, but what are we known for? And the answer is a million things, Right? And we talked about kindness and transparency and dedication and forgiveness. And the truth is, is that most of the time we're not known for those things. Because it's hard. But we can change what we're known for. We can try. And you're all powerful in this supremely critical way. Because you can forgive and you can be forgiven. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You can't heal people and you can't make yourself perfect and you can't make people right with God. But you don't have to carry that anchor with you all the time. And your friends and family don't have to either. I don't claim that I've had an epiphany. I'm not claiming that I'm going to go home at the end of this. 
and feel completely better. I'm not claiming that I've changed. I've been chased by a cloud for so long, and I doubt that it's going away tonight. But I can't shake that feeling. I have to acknowledge that there's forgiveness, even when I don't want to, even when I'm not quite ready to ask for it. It's there. And you guys need to know it's there, because if we don't utilize that forgiveness, if we don't see how much it matters, we're not going to make it. I mean, it's too much of a struggle as is. And if we don't know that forgiveness, that is a, a tough road to walk down. And I, I would be doing you a really big disservice if just because I was feeling bad, I didn't tell you about how wonderful that forgiveness could be. Really. So what are we known for? I can't say what all of us are known for, but I can say what I know myself for, and I can say what I know you guys for. I know myself as the guy who's struggling, as the guy who's hurting. But in the face of that, I'm still the guy who's going to clutch the hand of God and is going to say, God, please take me from this pain. Please give me peace. I know in our love that I'm not enough, but you will be enough for me. And I know all of you as the people who have that power to forgive and to be forgiven. And we can start tonight all these things, kindness and transparency and dedication and forgiveness. We can start living out those things right now, right this second. And that is amazing. And, and all of this, this stuff we're talking about, it's just, it's just an overflow of love. We don't have to be vessels of pain in the world. We could be vessels of love. Because that's all that any of this is, is an overflow of love. His love. And I want to feel that. And I want you to feel that. I want us to feel that. His love. What he's known for. That's our series. I'm going to call up the worship team in a second. If there's anything you guys need to talk about, I am here any day. Your fellow students are here. Your fellow leaders are here. We can embody these things. We can change what we're known for. and We can be there for each other. So I'm going to call up the worship team right now. And I'm going to pray with you guys. So if you'll join me in prayer. God. You know, when we were coming up with that question, I didn't realize how difficult it would be to answer. What are we known for? Because we're not known for the things that you're known for. We're not always like you. We're not who we need to be all the time. But there's hope because you give us hope. And we can have faith because you enable us to do that. And we can have love because you love us. So right now, Help all of us to change our actions and our words and our thoughts so that what we are known for becomes in line with what you want us to be known for. To be known for being your family, your children, to be vessels of love. Stay with all of these people throughout their week. In your son's name, amen.